Hey, is sports gambling okay? Hold on, I just have to check my FanDuel account quick. Ah, just kidding. I'm kidding. That and more coming up on Ask. Hey everyone, this is Ask. I'm Pastor Jamie. This is the show where you ask questions about faith, the li- uh, your life, the Bible, and uh, I answer them. It's pretty simple. So we just got to go to cornerstonebv.org or the media page, drop down, ask, put in your question. We need them, so give it to us. All right, first of all, what do you do when a sister or brother in Christ has decades in the faith and has their mindset on rejecting certain chapters of Scripture? How to fellowship genuinely? Can you do ministry together? So this is a really good question, and I would probably have a better answer if I knew kind of what chapters you're talking about. So let me give you three scenarios, and you see which one fits best, okay? First is a hypothetical scenario that I have never run into myself. Uh, Let's say a person believes in Scripture, but has trouble with chapters or books of the Bible for intellectual reasons. Maybe they struggle with Jude or 2 Peter because there actually was a lot of dispute over these books when the Bible canon was formed. So, uh, you know, while I believe they're definitely wrong and there's really good evidence uh, to include them, Uh, and should be definitely treated as God's word, if the person believes the essentials of what is contained in scripture and the gospel, then I certainly think fellowship can happen with little issue. Uh, But I doubt this is the scenario you're talking about because that's pretty rare. So second scenario might be it, right? This is something I've actually seen. This is, uh, let's, let's imagine a person throws out a ton of scripture for some personal reason. I know people, for instance, who only believe words in red or Jesus words, right? Are Only those are scriptural. And they'll throw out Paul's writings and much of the rest of the Bible, to be honest. My assessment in a case like this is the person is probably not a genuine Christian. Uh, I'm not God. I could be wrong, of course. But I would not allow such a person to teach or lead in any capacity within the church. So would I socialize with such a person? You know, if that's what you mean by fellowship? Well, there should be so, no reason not to. And, and maybe there's some ministries like feeding the hungry that would be okay, but most teaching ministries or leading ministries uh, would not be happening for a person like that. Third scenario, which I deem most likely for you, is when a person throws something out of the Bible because they don't like what it says. So very common themes that happen today are passages regarding gender roles in the church. Um, also those surrounding homosexuality and sexual sin. So typically in these circumstances, a person will do biblical kind of gymnastics, right? And break tons of rules around biblical interpretation because he or she just doesn't like what it says. And this is very dangerous to do. Would I fellowship with such a person? Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. Uh, would I let a person like this do ministry? Maybe to a point, yes, but most teaching situations are leading situations I would not. Um, so hopefully this has been helpful. And if you want to follow up, if I miss something, please do. Second, sports gambling is now legal in Massachusetts. Should a follower of Christ have any biblical reason to prohibit himself from placing bets? Hmm, yes, it's all over the ad, so you can't miss it nowadays, right? So that should tell you something, people. The house makes a lot of money, which means regular schmucks like us are losing it. Okay, so I am not an expert in gambling by any means, right? But I put gambling into kind of two main categories. One, the house rules. Two, strategy gambling. So house rules are the places of fools. Scratch tickets, slots, casino games, etc. There is no strategy, just a spin or a scratch or a pulling of a lever, and the house makes the odds. Should you never do this? 
Well, not necessarily. If you get a ticket once in a while or you're at a party and you hit a slot lever a couple times, it's probably no big deal. You might even win something. But if you do them regularly, you will lose. It's all preordained. It's not really all that fun either. So I would wonder, why are you doing it regularly? Is it money that that, that important to you? Maybe there's something behind that that you need to talk to God and maybe even a counselor about. Now, the strategy games are in the second category. That's a bit different. You do have a shot of being good at this, right? If you learn how to play poker or blackjack really well, or you learn to study horse racing, and now with sports gambling, you might regularly make some money and get good at it. However, unless you put a lot of time into it, I doubt you will because the house is studying it more than you. And if you are putting that kind of time into it, I would wonder, as a Christian, why you're not putting so much time into the kingdom and initiatives that God wants us to be. So ultimately, should a Christian gamble? Not a really good idea to do it in any semblance of regularity. But if you're treating it as entertainment once in a while, I think it can be okay. For example, most years I buy a bracket for the NCAA basketball tournament in March. This year, that cost me 20 bucks. Now, in all my life, I've come into the money and won twice. So, and that's a long time. So when I do this, I know I'm probably gonna lose. So I'm not spending it on gambling, I'm spending it on entertainment. It makes the games a little bit more fun for me and it all becomes more interesting. So I don't see it as gambling, but spending 20 bucks on something instead of maybe going to the movies or to a show. But if you find yourself gambling with any kind of regularity and lose anything close to significant amounts of money, it is a very, very dangerous practice and you should just get it out of your life. Okay, third, was Rahab really Boaz's mother? From a quick Google search, it looks like the events in Joshua and Ruth take place at least a couple hundred years apart, making this seem impossible. But she is mentioned in Matthew's genealogy as the, as the mother. What's going on here? So genealogies were very important to people, especially Jewish people, right? Your family heritage and tribe, it was very important for a lot of reasons. So the genealogy in Matthew's book was directed to a, Judy, a Jewish readership in particular uh, that he was writing to, and it was very important that the long-awaited Messiah came from Abraham and from through the line of David, because significant prophecies of the Old Testament predicted that. This was the reason Matthew gave the historical account, and not to be exhaustive in family history. So what Matthew did is he used a system of 14 generations between each major section. This was done for maybe symbolic reasons, or just to be really helpful because people had to memorize these things. They didn't have pen and paper uh, like we do, and so they committed it to memory. So it really helped with techniques to, to, to memorize it. He did spe uh, skip specific people, but he still faithfully traced the generations back to David and Abraham. So also it was common practice to say son of, even if this is a distant grandfather, you were still considered a son of that person, right? So that, well, that's the case when it comes to Rahab and Boaz. All right, thank you for watching. Really appreciate it. This has been Ask. This weekend, baptisms at all of our gatherings, five o'clock Saturday, Sunday at nine or 11. I hope you will join us, celebrate 10 people uh, being baptized this weekend. In the meantime, we need your questions. So go to cornerstonepv.org, submit them on Ask, and we will see you soon. God bless.